Welcome to the Don't HR Alone podcast, your daily source for news and updates relevant to the HR profession. We bring you weekly interviews with HR leaders, CEOs, and small business owners, along with our daily updates. Each day, you can tune in for updates by following us on the social media of your choice. We post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also subscribe by going to don'thralone.com. And our show is on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe as well. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rami Alijil, and welcome to Don't HR Alone number 50. Today, we're going to be going into how hospital medical costs are on the rise, a new alternative ACA plan that just passed the House, and a new prevailing wage rule. First up, let's talk about the hospitals. Hospitals are exploring stricter rules around health benefits as a key element of their health strategy. A growing number of hospitals are enforcing stricter rules around their health benefits as they cope with increasing health care costs and an evolving health care landscape, according to a new study by Camic Health, a business of Aon. The annual benefits survey of more than 196 hospitals across 86 participating health systems in the eastern region of the United States found that the average health care expense per employee for these hospitals was $15,541, compared to $11,000. $1,102 in 2010. As costs continue to increase, so are hospitals' appetites for requiring more from their employees in managing their own health care plan and plan choices. 45% of hospitals surveyed either levy a surcharge or simply do not cover spouses who are who have access to coverage by their own employer. More than three-quarters of plans, 79%, maintain a higher cost-sharing requirement for using urgent care facilities. While still priced to steer employees away from the emergency room, these copays are beginning to outpace primary care care co-pays to help influence choice for a place to service uh, in, so as to encourage that physician member relationship. So we want people to go to that to a physician instead of an emergency room, whether that means a doctor uh, during your primary care or an urgent care visit. 40% maintain separate call sharing for specialty drug tiers and 12% set co-insurance for non-formulary medications at 100% of the discounted price. So one in 10 almost basically say, hey, generics are, are, are free. Um, I'm sorry, uh, one in 10 say that non-formulary, so your non-generics, your, your kind of most expensive tier of drugs outside of specialty, uh, they've set the copay at 100% of the, of the discounted price. So whatever the network discount is, you pay that. No copay. Interesting. 48% price incentives to encourage members to use their internal pharmacies as well. So they, since they're a hospital and they have their own pharmacy, they give some sort of incentive to use those. Quote, hospitals want to continue to offer a comprehensive benefits package, but face financial pressure to achieve a meaningfully different cost outcome. As a result, their health strategies have evolved to induce more cost sharing to employees, said Mark Clark, a senior, a senior vice president at, in Aon's health business. However, they also recognize that focusing only on cost sharing is not sustainable in the long term. To remain competitive, they are adopting more innovative strategies that encourage accountability and deliver high-quality health outcomes, he says. So adopting new strategies to mitigate the cost as an overall to topic, according to the Camic Health Survey, more than two-thirds, 67%, participate in a value-based contract with a payer. More than half, 53%, have at least discussed the concept of partnering to manage health plan members at non-hospital employers. Such partnerships include accountable care organizations, 41%, clinically integrated networks, 32 and physician hospital organizations, 27%. 83% use a domestic tier to steer employees 
employees towards services within their health system. So in-network, out-of-network tier. To encourage employees to use the services, hospitals use the following strategies. They normally uh, have a no-coinsurance plan, 54%, or deductible, 56%. Free inpatient care, 41%, and outpatient care, 37% to their own employees of the hospital. And no primary care physician copay, 24%. So these are relatively rich plans, and they're trying to steer people to utilizing health services in-network through those things. Quote, the trends align with the overall business objectives of the healthcare delivery system as healthcare transforms from volume to values, added Clark. Self-insured, employer-sponsored health plans are key risk populations for systems because they have more control over the data, design, and incentives. By retaining care within their own networks and facilities, they have increased their ability to facilitate utilization, cost, and quality outcomes. Source Aon. Now, why does all that matter? Whatever the hospitals are doing, that's kind of the future, guys. We, as large employers grow, we'll want to, we'll be seeing more and more managed care partnerships with hospitals so as to try to make that transition, as Mr. Clark said, from volume to value, trying to focus in on health. Very interesting kind of plan design choices there. Okay. Next up, there's a new prevailing health and welfare fringe benefit rate that was announced on effective August 1, 2017. That was yesterday. The prevailing health and welfare fringe benefits rate issued under the McNamara O'Hara Service Contract Act will increase to $4.41 per hour. This increase comes via Executive Order 13706, establishing paid sick leave for federal contractors. The Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division made the announcement on July 25th in a memorandum. The SCA, the Service Contract Act, requires contractors and subcontractors performing services on prime contracts for the government in excess of $2,500 to pay service employees in various classes no less than a wage rate and fringe benefits found prevailing in the locality or the rates, including prospective increases, contained in a predecessor's contract collective bargaining agreement. The DOL issues wage determinations on a contract-by-contract basis in response to the specific requests from the contracting agencies. These determinations are then incorporated into the contract. The executive order requires certain employers that contract with the federal government to provide their employees with up to 56 hours, which is seven days, of paid sick leave annually, including for family care and absences resulting from domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking. The executive order applies to new contracts with the federal government that result from solicitations issued on or after January 1, 2017. And to comply with that Executive Order 13706, an alternative health and welfare rate has been established that excludes the sick leave portion of the calculated health and welfare rate. The SCA health and welfare fringe benefit level for employees performing on contracts covered by the EO will now be $4.13 per hour, assuming you give them that sick leave. So to sum up, if you're a federal contractor, your new prevailing benefits wage is going to be $4.13 per hour. And you and you give them 56 hours of annual sick leave. You work on federal contracts. That's an important thing to understand. Every hour you work, they get four dollars and 13 cents on top of that to pay for health benefits. Okay. additional information on Executive Order 13706 is dedicated on the uh, White House. uh, It it has available on a dedicated White House page, whitehouse.gov. Go check it out.
Okay, last for the day, House lawmakers have introduced a bipartisan ACA-related compromise plan. The Problem Solvers Caucus, a bipartisan group of 40 House lawmakers, introduced a compromise plan on July 31st to address problems in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. The proposal comes just days after Senate Republicans failed to move forward ACA repeal and replace legislation on the Senate floor in a dramatic vote uh, by John McCain. Very interesting stuff if you haven't watched that. But anyway, in a July 31 press release, Rep. Daniel Lipkinski said that for the past seven years, he's advocated that the two parties come together to address problems in the ACA. Quote, on the heels of the failure of the Republican effort to repeal the ACA, the Problem Solvers Caucus is taking the lead in doing just that. The common sense bipartisan plan we are putting forward will have will take the steps that everyone agrees are needed to stabilize the individual health insurance market and reduce premiums, he added. The plan focuses on five provisions. The proposed changes to the ACA would paid for by offsets within the healthcare system, according to Lipinski. Among those changes, the plan proposes appropriating funds so that the cost-sharing reduction payments continue to be made. So those of you in that uh, 144% to 200% uh, of, of federal poverty level uh, that take the silver plans that have the cost-sharing reductions, those would continue. Although the current method of funding these payments has been ruled unconstitutional by the Federal District Court of Washington, D.C., the proposal would ensure the payments continue anyway. Additionally, the plan would create a dedicated stability fund for states' reinsurance programs for paying the high cost enrollees, which is estimated that would result in a 5 to 10% premium reduction. We'll see. But yeah, take on the, the absolute worst cases when, when instead of having a risk corridor, if it's really, really bad, we move, uh, we, we put it into a state reinsurance program. Okay. The plan also proposes keeping in place the employer mandate, but would raise the threshold to businesses of 500 or more employees and would repeal the device tax of 2.3%, our medical device tax. So moving from uh, 50 full-time equivalents to 500 full-time equivalents. Interesting. It does keep the individual mandate in place and, like I said, would reveal the White House, uh, the medical device tax of 2.3%. The White House has a response. Although many lawmakers are deeming the GOP efforts at repealing and replacing the ACA a failure, President Trump is urging Republicans not to, quote, give up. In a June 30 tweet, Trump said, don't give up Republican senators. The world is watching repeal and replace. Similarly, the day before, Republicans, Trump said that Republicans should demand another vote before voting on any other bills, quote, unless the Republicans Republican senators are total quitters. Repeal and replace is not dead, he said. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for episode 50 of the Don't of Don't HR Alone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please feel free to like, comment, follow, post, ask questions on our various social media accounts. We would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, have a wonderful day. Get out there.